Broadcasting from the heartland of America in the Hoosier Media Network Studios. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It is, it is our number two of the Voice of Reason's weekend edition. So great to have you broadcasting coast to coast all over the place out of the heart of the nation at the Hoosier Media Network Studios in Wichita, Kansas, as we are all over the country. And so wonderful to have you with us here. Awesome hour number one, Evan Sayett, great friend. We're going to get him back on the show again soon to talk about more of his book. I can't believe, Chad, can you believe we did an entire conversation about his book now, which was science and uh, evolutionary versus creationism versus uh, atheism and the militant atheists that there are. And we talked about the origins of the universe. We didn't even mention ETs, man. That is a major failure on my end. I'm totally sorry. I apologize profusely. Because you know how much we love that topic on our show here. Weird news of the day. Yeah. No, I can't use that now. I can't use that anymore. So we're going to have to get him back on the show uh, because he mentioned that in the program or in the book that he has. So we'll get him back on the show again soon. Awesome guy. And uh, the fact that he's a previous writer for Bill Maher with this politically incorrect uh, show as well. On this hour, excited to have another guest on the show, Larry Schweikart. He is the author of the book, The Patriots History of Globalism. We're going to do a deep dive into history and the efforts to globalize, centralize the deep states, the elites, the ones that like to control everything. When did this idea start and how far back does that go in human history? Going to have some fun with that coming up on the program here in just a little bit. You can find me all over the social media at Hoosier Reason. That's H-O-O-S-E-R Reason and the website at HoosierReason.com. You can go and check out a lot of cool content on there. Sign up to become a Hoosier Holic as soon as it pops up. When you go to the website, you can type in your email. You'll have the newsletter coming out on Monday as we send that the first Monday of every month. And you can check it out and become an official Hoosier-holic, which I tell you, if you do, then you're winning, baby. Winning. That's what we do here on the program because have no fear. The voice of reason is here. All right, let's get into a week, not only a recap, but what's coming up here this week as well. It's your Week in Review. All right, show fans, how many people are aware of the fact that the state of Nevada has a primary coming up this week, as in the first full week of the month of February. Did, did anybody know that? Anybody? Anybody at all? Oh, okay. Except for maybe those in the state of Nevada and those around that one, because all eyes right now are on South Carolina, which is at the end of this month. And right now, Donald Trump's still leading majorly in the polls against Nikki Haley. So we'll see if she can gain that ground by the time that, that primary happens in her own state. By the way, her home state. So if Donald Trump beats her there... I don't know why she's sticking around till Super Tuesday, but I guess if you have the cash, why the heck not? And while there's a lot of issues in D.C., I want to stop and focus on the state of Nevada for just a moment because this one's going on this week. Early voting obviously been happening for a while, but this system's just a little bit different this year. There are going to be two opportunities for you to vote in the state of Nevada this week. Obviously, the election on Tuesday in Nevada with their 26 delegates has a state-sanctioned primary followed by a Republican caucus that's going to be on Thursday this week as well. I know, a little weird. Say what? I know, right? A little bit crazy. So let's break it down. First off, for those that may not know, if you you know are actively involved in politics and you focus on a lot of this, then you already know this. But let's break it down for those that may be just a little bit green and the noobs, so to speak, from the young generation. See, I'm trying to use young lingo. I may be 35, a millennial, but I got to relate to the younger generation. So we're going to go for the noobs here and the political world for just a moment. The difference between a primary and a caucus, do you know the difference? So I may not. So let's do that real quick, shall we? A primary 
is actually sanctioned by the state that you're in. The Secretary of State's office actually hosts it, and it's like a regular election. You go and you vote, and the Secretary of State's office is the one that handles it, and then they release the uh, the numbers, and they're the ones that pay for the uh, people that are running the voting booths, and they're the ones setting up the systems, and so on and so forth. A caucus would be one that's run by the actual party, the Republican Party, the Democrat Party. So now the next question that I'm sure that you have is why is the state of Nevada doing both? And we don't have any radio stations, I don't believe. Do we have any stations in Nevada? I don't believe we do. But we do have a lot of podcast listeners in the state of Nevada. So if you're listening to this on the live stream or the podcast, then pay attention for a moment because it's going to get very complicated for you. Why are you doing both? You have a state-sanctioned primary on Tuesday followed by a Republican caucus on Thursday that's going to confuse a lot of individuals. And you can choose to vote in one or the other. If you have a preference, I would say to vote in the caucus on Thursday. Just throwing that out. That's my personal opinion. I do not live in Nevada. You can do whatever you want to. You can go and vote for both. You can do neither. But I would say that you would want to go with the one that actually delegates the delegates. That is the Republican Party. And they're the ones sanctioning the caucus on Thursday. Now, why are they doing both? According to the Associated Press and PBS.org, they say that the Republican Party is not quite happy with what's going on in the state of Nevada after lawmakers a few years ago ended up wanting to steer away from caucuses, and they ended up advocating for an actual primary, according to a Democrat governor that advocated for this a few years ago. According to the AP, state lawmakers opted to move away from the Iowa-style presidential caucus in Nevada that was held there for years in favor of the traditional state-run primary for Tuesday. The GOP in the state opposed the plan and opted to hold a caucus on the 8th to allegate the actual delegates for the Republican Party, which means that you can vote in the primary on Tuesday, but it's going to be primarily for the Democrats. And for those that are registered Democrat in the state of Nevada, you'll vote in the Democrat primary, which overwhelmingly will be Joe Biden. Oh, I don't know, though. Maybe Nevada, they're a little strange out there at least on the Democrat side, maybe they'll go for Miriam Williamson. She's the, and I say this in air quotes for the radio listeners, she's the main challenger for Joe Biden in the race, this Miriam Williamson. She could pull some in Nevada, who knows? But overwhelmingly, we'll still see Joe Biden get that one. The Republicans, you can vote. But here's what you're going to see on your ballot. If you vote for the Republican primary on Tuesday, Donald Trump will not be on the ballot, and Nikki Haley will be on the ballot. If you vote in the caucus on Thursday, Donald Trump will be on the ballot and Nikki Haley will not be on the ballot. Are you confused enough yet? Chad, jump on here for just a moment. Does that, is this making sense on what they're doing in Nevada or is this just even more confusing? All right. It almost sounds like they're becoming California. Well, kind of. They really are just a little bit. But here's the thing. The Republican Party doesn't want it. And the reason is, is because they wanted, here's, here's how the primary is going to work. If you're voting the primary, they, they wanted to change it to where it's all mail-in voting. All, you can't show up to the polls on primary day on Tuesday in the state of Nevada. If you're going to vote on the primary, you're going to vote mail-in ballot. Why? They say it's going to save some money. They say that it's going to stop voter fraud or something, or maybe it increases voter fraud because I'm not quite sure exactly what their laws are for voter identification for mail-in ballot processes, which was a big conversation back in 2020. But nonetheless, if you can vote on there, then you can vote in the primary on Tuesday by mail-in only. Donald Trump will not be on that ballot. Republicans, it's really null and void if you vote on Tuesday because the Republican Party is not participating in that one. Therefore, they will not appropriate their delegates 
There are 28 delegates to the winner of that one uh, and at all because they're doing their caucus on Thursday. So why the state's doing it? Really up to the question of the state officials on that one on why they're still hosting it when they already know that they have an incumbent for the Democrat side and they're wasting their money on the Republican side, which is really where this is going to matter. So essentially the state of Nevada, congratulations, you're wasting a massive amount of money. Here in Kansas, at least, our primaries are going to be anywhere between 5 to $7 million dollars. And that's in a state that has like 1.7, 1.8 million registered voters in the state. I can only imagine what it's going to be like in a state of Nevada that has increasingly more number of registered voters across the state when the Republican Party won't even use those to divide the delegates up on that one. So that being said, they're holding their caucus on February 8th, where Donald Trump will be on that one and Nikki Haley will not, which means unless you do a write-in for Nikki Haley, she's not going to get any of those delegates in that state that does lump them into 26 total. Here's the weird part, and I was not aware of this in the state of Nevada until just recently. But unlike Democrats, the Republican Party does not use what we call superdelegates. And for those that may not be aware of what superdelegates are, in the Democrat side during primaries, you have your certain amount of delegates based on population size. And then based on that population, usually the percentage of what individuals get is the number of delegates that they receive from that state, you have to hit the certain threshold of delegates nationwide for your Republican National Convention, Democrat National Convention, in order for you to be the official nominee from that actual party. And usually in a state, then you win an X amount of those delegates. The Democrats have something called superdelegates, which means that the elected officials, the elites, the elected ones already, they get a say in the electoral process as well. And I pride ourselves on the Republican side that we don't have said superdelegates because that really reinforces the idea of the elites choosing the candidates for them. And in a lot of, shape, a lot of uh, cases in the Democrat side, there are just as many delegates for the superdelegates as there are the regular delegates. So even if you vote on the Democrat side, the elites and the, the elected officials actually get to decide what your candidate's going to get on the delegate side for that state. Kind of a weird situation, and I'm glad that I'm not part of that Democrat party. One of One of the reasons on why I don't like to become a Democrat. However, in the state of Nevada, they have something similar. And they have eight delegates that uh, elected officials actually get to use in that state as well. And I'm not quite sure why they allow something like that to happen. So out of the, what, 26 that they have total for the Republicans, eight of them are actually elected officials. And that's a little concerning, but the state of Nevada confusing the heck out of the voters in that state. So just to warn you, if you do get the campaign ads, which I'm sure you are about going out and voting, then you get to choose wisely on what you get to do. You can vote for Nikki Haley on Tuesday as a Republican, but it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. If you vote for Donald Trump on Thursday, that's the one where the Republican Party will actually select its delegates and be able to send them to the Republican National Committee. And that way, Donald Trump will more than likely get the vast majority of those 26 delegates, even with those eight that are included from the elites or the elected officials in that state. It's very confusing. And I don't know why they've chosen to do this. And again, I think the state of Nevada run predominantly by Democrats, at least right now, that they are confusing the voters, maybe intentionally to try and steer delegates away from Donald Trump. But is it actually going to work? Because if that's their intention, Republicans or moderates or even those that flip sides under their own Democrat, quote unquote, Operation Chaos, if you remember that from Rush Limbaugh back in the day, 
to try and keep the feud between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama alive. If that's their intention is to confuse people enough to not vote for Donald Trump, but to vote for Nikki Haley in a primary where Trump's not even on the ballot, it's not going to do you any good because the Republicans aren't even going to look at that number. So why spend the money on a primary when the really the side that has to make that decision isn't even deciding based on those numbers? But it will be interesting to see how many people actually turn out. Then on Thursday will be that caucus where you actually have to show up in person to vote for Donald Trump, where Nikki Haley will not be on that ballot. So with all this confusion ahead, voters in Nevada, be very wary and vote with your conscience. However you vote, I don't really care, but understand what's going on here. There is a contorted effort right now to try and get Donald Trump voters so confused that they don't vote at the right time for the right person, hopefully pegging him down a few and knocking away a few of those delegates when this is the first Western uh, primary that we see in the nation before South Carolina that comes up at the end of this month. And if they're playing these types of shenanigan games now, imagine what they're going to do in other states. We've already had the robot uh, AI bot calls in New Hampshire of a fake Joe Biden saying, don't vote in the primary and give it to the MAGA Republicans. Save your vote for November. They're already playing these dirty games. And I think this is just another one of those. While it won't really affect Thursday, it will confuse voters enough going into a general election of 2024. The games that are being played, we have to be careful of. And the only reason they're playing these games now is because we've cleaned up and we're aware there are games that they play actually on Election Day in November, and they can't pull those shenanigans again. It's going to be an interesting year for sure. I'm telling you, buckle up, strap in, and get ready for it. Lots more coming up. Is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. It's your Patriot on the Prairie. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. So uh, earlier this week, there was a story about how the Muslim associations, the voter associations of the Muslim community in the state of Michigan, said they will not be voting for Donald Trump because of his lack of support for the Palestinians and the ongoing conflict with Israel. And therefore, they will be pulling their votes from Joe Biden. Now, they say that there are roughly 200,000 registered voters of the Muslim community in the state of Michigan. And coincidentally, roughly 180,000 of them voted in the 2020 election for Joe Biden, which, if you look at the numbers again, Joe Biden beat Donald Trump in the state of Michigan by roughly 150,000. So if you take away those, Donald Trump would could potentially beat Joe Biden in this race, there is a new poll out from the morning consult that was released this weekend showing that President uh, Trump, former President Trump, beats Joe Biden by 47 to 42 in the state of Michigan. How vital those minority communities are for the Democrat Party. Now, remember, they've abused them. They've kept them that glass ceiling above them. They try to give them all the social programs to buy off their votes. They don't properly represent them. And all of these different minority communities, the Muslim community, now the Jewish community, because the Muslims are upset that Joe Biden's not supporting Palestine enough. The Jewish communities are upset because he's not supporting Israel enough. The Hispanic community is upset because he's not stopping the border crossings of cartels. The black community is upset just because they're not getting the stuff that the Democrats promised them for decades now, that the dominoes are beginning to fall. The House of Cards is beginning to crumble for the Joe Biden administration and for Democrats as a whole, showing that Republicans now more than ever have an opportunity to win over demographics that normally don't vote Republican. 
there was a interview that was on MSN earlier this week as well with a barber shop in a black community. Not sure what city this was in, but they were interviewing the black barber shop uh, uh, individuals on MSNBC talking about the mindset of their community around them on who they would potentially vote for in this upcoming election. There are some people in your orbit who are either voting for Donald Trump or considering it. For sure. A lot of my friends are obviously my, so we're a little younger. We've only voted once, you know, for actually for a president and, Trump is kind of all we know, and they're kind of Trump and Biden. They're like, well, we were broke with Biden. We weren't with Trump. And that's kind of the only thing that I'm hearing over and over again, over and over again, is that Trump, we had money. Cut the broadcast. Cut the transmission. You can't be having that type of rhetoric out there. How dare you interview an individual in a black community that's overwhelmingly Democrat, rural or uh, inner city community, where they're like, yeah, every time and time again, more and more people coming into the barbershop saying I'm voting for Trump. I had money with Trump in office. I don't have any money with Joe Biden in office, which has been a residual uh, thing going on with uh, the media going out onto the streets and saying, who are you voting for? If you remember, just a year or so ago, did the same thing on CNN. They went out there. It was CNBC, I believe, actually. And they interviewed in Hispanic community saying, hey, who are you voting for? And they're like, well, I know gas was cheaper under Trump, not so much under Joe Biden. I think we're going to be voting for Donald Trump. Oh, thank you very much. Cut the transmission. Move on to the next story because you can't have that type of rhetoric. This is on MSNBC. A black barbershop in a community. Oh, we're voting for Trump time and time again. Everybody's coming in. We had more money under Donald Trump. Which is why the House of Cards is beginning to crumble. They're losing the demographics that normally vote for Democrats. And it's because of the lack of leadership under Joe Biden and how badly that he's failed as a president running now, not as an incumbent, but as someone who's trying to run and act like it's their first time running for president of the United States. With Kamala Harris out there saying that leaders need to lead. And that's why the people look for leaders is to solve issues because we admit that the immigration system's broken. Yeah. And you haven't fixed it. What a wild concept. And that's why in states like Michigan now, 47 to 42, according to the morning consults, with the latest poll showing Trump beats Joe Biden. Minnesota, a large Muslim community state, now in play for Donald Trump because the Muslim community not wanting to stand up and support Joe Biden with his lack of support for Palestine and the Muslims in the Middle East. The House of Cards is beginning to topple. And it's kind of fun to watch, isn't it? Pop the popcorn. Larry Schweikart, when we come back right around the corner. Stay here. This is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it on the home stretch here, man. This show has flown right on by. I told you, man, we had a lot to talk about and so much more to get to. Did you see this headline? What was it, Thursday or Friday? Kevin McCarthy, who is now out because he couldn't uh, handle the shame of being in Congress after being booted out as Speaker of the House. He had to leave just nine months left, ten months left of his uh, reign in the House before. He, all he had to say was just, I'm not going to run for re-election anymore. I'm going to retire. I'm going to be good. Move on out. No, no. He had to wrap up by the end of the year. Apparently now he's creating his own super PAC, trying to go after Matt Gates and the other eight Republicans that voted against him in the speakership. So he's got his vendetta. I'm telling you, man, you just need to go away because when we think of Kevin McCarthy, we just really don't care anymore. 
So there's that. But welcome, I guess, Kevin McCarthy with your ridiculousness and trying to get back into the realm. Trying to actually be relevant in today's time still. Again, all right, I want to shift gears. Let's get to our next guest here, shall we? So much to get to with him as we go to our Hoosier Media Hotlines. Let's go to the Hoosier Media Hotline. Another super exciting conversation I'm excited to have here as we talk about the history of globalism. Now, it seems like a new thing, and it really, I mean, the first time we really started hearing about, you know, the New World Order, quote-unquote, not the conspiratorial type, but really like George Bush Sr., when he talked about the globalization of the economy and the new world order when it comes to corporations working overseas and, you know, moving production lines overseas and so on and so forth, that it really became a conversation. But did it happen before that? I love learning history and I love learning the fact that uh, understanding what the other side has done and how long that they've argued for the centralization of power, this globalization of power, this complete control from the deep state or the elites or the establishment, whatever name you want to throw out there how long they've tried to have this dominance over the general public. Excited to have on the program, as he's an expert in this field, author of the latest book, A Patriot's History of Globalism, Its Rise and Decline. Happy to have on here Larry Schweikart with us. Larry, how are you, my friend? Hey, Andy. Yeah, it's it's been with us for 200 years, my friend. It's been They've been at it for 200 years, and the good news is they failed for 200 years. Yeah, so far, and thank goodness. Uh, but they don't stop. They're relentless, Larry. They just don't stop yeah. this stuff. No, no. They and they keep trying different uh, different avenues. You know, I start the book with the uh, Congress of Vienna in 1814 after Napoleon, how they tried to rearrange Europe through monarchs, and that didn't work. And then then they tried to use militaries globally to conquer the world and and uh, use top-down kind of military dictatorships in the colonies, and those didn't work. And then they tried uh, at, at Versailles Peace Conference, and the diplomats got their try, and they, they moved millions of people from Poland to Germany to Hungary to Czechoslovakia. That didn't work. Then they tried uh, having the scientists come about and see if they could control atomic energy through a global community. That didn't work. Then they tried the U.N. and Bretton Woods, and then medical globalism, as you were uh, mentioning earlier with one of your ads. And then finally, and most recently, climate change globalism. None of these things have worked. None of them work. Let's go back to the beginning here, and let's talk about who. When we talk about the globalization and these globalists, who are they? And who started this and who actually tried to create this centralization of power? Yeah, that's a good question, and it, it shifts. It varies over time. Uh, again, with the Congress of Vienna, it was mostly the monarchs and the aristocrats in Europe who were uh, trying to they, – they would always use the explanation. They were doing this for the good of the people, uh, and, of course, the people were never consulted in any of this. By the time you get to World War II, it's many elected leaders like Woodrow Wilson, uh, David Lloyd George, people like that who are – uh, and once again, acting on behalf of the people to move millions of people around without their consent. Uh, later, it's um, it's the medical community, the the bankers, the financial community after Bretton Woods. Uh, so they they keep shifting which groups are trying to uh, force this on the publics of the world. Interesting. It, it, it's interesting to see who's actually pushing this. Now, I know you don't cover this in the book because you start with Napoleon, but let's go back a little bit further to the ancient times. Does an empire constitute this? Let's talk about Rome, for example, and talk about the expansion of Rome trying to centralize all of this control under one empire. Does that kind of fall under the same mindset here of everybody living under 
one type of empirical power? Sure. I mean, you could argue that uh, the Roman emperors or Alexander the Great were forms of very early uh, globalism, but their their globe was so limited. Um, even when we get up to uh, Europe in the time of Napoleon, the Europeans really thought Europe was kind of the whole world at that time. And so they yeah. weren't making plans for you know, China and Latin America. They weren't going that far. They weren't as ambitious as the guys we have today at Davos. Yeah, that is very true. So let's talk about the rebellion from this. Every time that they've tried this, you mentioned for the last 200 years, they failed miserably for these uh, last 200 years when they've attempted this. What's the mindset of the people? They always push the envelope a little bit further and further and further. And it seems like today we're getting close to that again with this United Nations, with the World Economic Forum, with uh, the Obama administration, the Biden administration, just giving the power to the U.N. for this global universal type of law and trying to get rid of currencies and trying to have this universal law uh, when it comes to military action or human rights or so on and so forth. Every time this has been tried, the people say, uh-uh, but it doesn't, it seems like we're so complacent now. I, I haven't seen as much of a revolt. What's led to the revolts last time? And are we on that trajectory again right now, do you think? Well, these guys come in and um, they believe they know what's best for the people. You look at what some of the people said at the Congress of Vienna is that they came in with these grand illusions of of restoring peace in Europe. It didn't work, by the way. They had two years and uh, two wars in the next seventy years. But when you look at general pushback over time, when the scientists began to advance the notion after World War II that only they were able to really understand and control atomic energy and that an international consortium of science scientists kind of led through the United Nations should control all atomic energy, they pushed fear, which is the same thing that they pushed during the COVID uh, outbreak. And, yeah. and it only took about a year and a half for the American public to go from being very, very concerned about the atomic bomb and you know, death by atomic radiation to uh, basically saying, no, it's, uh, it's not that bad. There are other things that are more dangerous and of more concern right now. So you've got – you see over and over they have to keep fear at the very top of their uh, agenda – and, and you saw this with COVID. One of the key things in COVID was they had to develop a, a pandemic mentality. And they used that, that guy, Neil Ferguson of, of the UK, who came up with the number of 20 million uh, U.S. deaths and hundreds of millions dead in the world. And they pushed that knowing that number was utterly false and, and crazy. But they needed it in order to to hype the fear level up enough that people would agree to being locked down for certain periods of time. Yeah. Yeah. Fear is a very powerful emotion and uh, the, the politics of fear is a very strong one that gets people to comply any way that they want to. Let's go back to the Napoleon area where you really start this book, which by the way, we're talking with Larry Schweikar, author of the book, a patriotic history of globalism. You can find his website at wildworldofhistory.com. Fascinating stuff there for sure. And the Napoleon time, which a lot of people don't correlate, but we did have the beginning of the United States after our revolution. How much of an influence do you think that that had on the politics of France? Because France was our ally at the time and their revolution happened essentially shortly after our revolution here in the United States, where you get the musicals like Les, Les Mis and they, they kind of focus on that time era uh, right then. How much of an influence was the rabble-rousing patriots of America 
influencing the shutting down of the globalism movement in Europe at that time? Well, of course, the American Revolution was hugely cited by the French revolutionaries as a cause of their revolution in 1789. But after Napoleon uh, and and a decade of him uh, expanding the French Empire through all of Europe, the goal was to restore, try to restore everything back to the way it was before Napoleon. And this is key, because what happened between 1800 and 1815, Waterloo, was that there had become something called the popular will, or the voice of the people. And even Metternich, who was the head dude there at at the uh, Congress of Vienna, the Austrian chancellor, even he admitted on many occasions that anybody who doesn't take account of popular will and the voice of the people and the intentions of the people is risking a problem here. Nevertheless, they went ahead anyway. And several of the the, uh, lesser lieutenants who accompanied these guys said, you know, we came in with the intention of making Europe better and of freeing the people and establishing democracies. And all we did was reestablish the old monarchies all over again. Now, here in the United States, when we created our, uh, we had our revolution, we created our our governing rule, we started off with the Articles of Confederation, went to the Constitution shortly after because it didn't give the power quite too much. The quote, the infamous quote from Benjamin Franklin was when they walked out and the media asked, what kind of government did you give us? He said, a republic, if we can keep it which is the important part of this. And we were supposed to be that beacon of light to keep government limited with that anticipation that this could happen with the globalization and those elites trying to take over again. How did they infiltrate and how did that start with this movement in the United States? Um. Man, pick pick an area, whether it's uh, education, medicine. I mean, they they kind of infiltrated all uh, for over 100 years. You know, I come from the university background. I taught at the University of Dayton in Ohio for 30 Mm -hmm. years, and I could see it happening in the university structure where, where they were getting more and more attuned to these kind of globalist ideas and um but but in in every avenue it, the change has been slow but steady and and as you mentioned earlier relentless yeah uh, we're talking with larry schweiker he's america's history teacher find him online at wildworldofhistory.com larry stick on the line i want to continue this conversation when we come back a fascinating one to learn about history and the history of globalism and what could they could try moving forward we'll do that when we come back right around the corner one segment left here on the voice of reasons weekend edition stay here this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier America's safe space for common sense. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Reason, common sense, rationale, that's just what we do on this show. It's a normal thing. It may be a minority in society, but it's a normality here on the program. Welcome into it. Got a last few minutes here of the program. I am so excited with this guest. we got to have him back on again real soon. He is America's history teacher, Larry Schweikart. You can find him online at wildworldofhistory.com. He's got his history curriculum for schools. He's got his wild world of politics where you can discuss some of the political events going on and more, plus his latest book, A Patriot's History of Globalism, talking about where all this elitism, this centralized power, this push to control the masses really began, especially in modern American history. Let's take it, Larry, to the next step here. You mentioned COVID. You mentioned this politics of fear, this 
uh, fear-mongering of keeping people compliant and moving forward. Now we hear about, obviously, disease X, and we're concerned about this new virus that could be killing people. Are they going to try this again? And if they do, is it going to work? Because, like you said, there's a lot of people now that are just like, yeah, I'm not wearing masks. I'm not getting the vaccines. I'm not going to comply with your stay-at-home orders and just remote work from home and make that the quote-unquote new norm. I don't know how you can just rinse and repeat and expect it to be as as successful as last time. Yeah, exactly right. Um, They they are going to try it again. They actually have started trying again about six months ago, and it hasn't worked. And I think you've seen some of the polls that show only 1% of Americans are going to take another COVID vax of any type. Um, In in many people, 85%, I think, took one, but uh, that number dropped to about 50-some percent for a booster, and now people are going, no, not going to do that one again. I have enough health problems without the vax. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Are we seeing an anti-globalist movement around the world? And what I mean by that is obviously Donald Trump was, you know, a populist that wanted to dismantle, kick down the doors of the the, the behind the scenes meetings, overturn the tables. We have uh, the individual down in South America that is a very interesting character on his personal life, but has come out on the World Economic Forum and going after socialism and saying that it's a threat to the Western world. We even have Conor McGregor running for possibly running for president in Ireland, which would be like a Irish version of Donald Trump over there, which would be hilarious to watch. We see a lot of these leaders that are coming out to be conservative populists wanting to dismantle. We see the Brexit that happened from the United, uh, from the EU a lot of these global leaders are starting to go this direction. Is it a, a global movement right now to dismantle globalism, do you think? Yes, absolutely. Uh, we call it a populist movement. You mentioned Javier Millet down in Argentina, but we also yeah. have um, uh, Maloney over in Italy. Um, we had Estonia. We have Hungary. We have Slovakia. Just nine other nations about a week ago, uh, elections showed they were moving more toward the, the populist side. We had the, the re-election of a more populist guy in Taiwan. Uh, people have had enough, and you saw this in uh, Brussels last week, where the farmers staged this massive uh, truck in, or tractor in. I don't know what you call it when you pull in 30,000 <laughs> tractors, but they couldn't, uh, they couldn't do anything. They had to uh, capitulate to these guys. Now, whether they will keep up with, with their promises, that's another thing. But at least in the short term, they had to, they had to back down. And so you're seeing this everywhere. This is a movement, not just in the United States, but everywhere the people are saying enough is enough. And I think we saw it also at Davos. I mean, Davos got attention because of what Javier Millet, he read him the riot act. But what was even more interesting was who was not at Davos. No president of the United States, no no prime minister of Great Britain, no prime minister of France, uh, all of the top leaders stayed home. You know, obviously Putin and Xi stayed home. And and do you do you know what their their uh, theme was for this year in Davos? <laughs> Restoring <that>? trust. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, done. Good luck with that one. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that one. It is about we've caught on and we always talk about a new world. We talk about this new vision. We talk about a lot of changes coming. And I think it is I've always been skeptical and I know populism can be very dangerous because it doesn't fall in line with a certain sure. standard, a certain agenda, and, and populism can be bad. But right now, the populism seems to be 
we just want to overturn the tables of of this of this centralized power, this centralized yep. control, and we'll figure it out thereafter. And I think that's at least yep. a good start. We just have to have some type of structure behind it when it's done. It's America's History teacher, Larry Schweikart. You can find him online at wildworldofhistory.com. Larry, I love the conversation, my friend. we got to get you back on again soon. Anytime. Thank you, Eddie. Hey, appreciate it very much. There it is, man. Good stuff. Check out the book, The Patriots History of Globalism. Again, wildworldofhistory.com. We're out of time. we got so much more to do. We'll have to do it again next week. Get ready for the big Nevada primaries this week and the caucus thereafter, a few days after. And let's see what these bills look like in Washington, D.C. when they present them in the early part of the week. Until then, be your own voices and be that catalyst for change. And let's do this thing for 2024. It's time for you to speak up, speak out, speak loud, speak proud, speak the truth, and always speak some reason. This is the voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio. Have a great weekend.